Today, we have finished the third book in the book of Moses, or the Torah, and it's known as Leviticus. And in Leviticus, it's also known as Levitican rule, because Leviticus lays out all of God's expectations for his people. And a lot of people read through this, and they get bored with it, and they just kind of skim it or some don't even finish it because it looks like a series of do's and don'ts but if we look at it we can see where a lot of it has a lot to do with what we see today even so I'm only going to hit on a few things it's 27 chapters so it's a little less than what Exodus was but What's really interesting in this, and I really like the ordination service. You know, in our uh, denomination, I'm a part of the Nazarene denomination, and, and I've also set in with some other people. When we do ordination services, it's really a big deal, okay? You've gone through your schooling, and you've gone through a lot of interviewing processes, and You've just uh, had a witness and a testimony that says you are truly called by the Lord to serve in the capacity of his messenger to bring uh, the word of God to the people. And so, you know, the Levites and Aaron and his sons are called to be God's servants in doing temple work. And so Moses is given the procedure on how he wants, the Lord wants them ordained. And it's so cool because, you know, only Aaron, who is the high priest at the time, is allowed to wear uh, the high priest garments, which has the tunic and the, the breastplate and, and the turban and all the stuff that's on it that's right. And he's got specific orders on where to put it on, don't touch stuff, and and just wear it the way you're supposed to, okay? And his sons all have matching ones, but they don't get the same turban that he does. They just get head coverings, right? So what's really cool is they take, you know, the bull, and they have to touch its head and then they slaughter it and then they take some of the blood from it and they touch the horns of the altar because remember the altar is really big and they touch the horns of the altar with the blood and 
they pour the blood in the back of the altar. I guess there's a trough back there, right? If we go back and look in how that was built, we get that in Exodus. We see that from there, here's what's really cool. They take some of that blood and they touch the earlobe of these priests. And then the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the right toe. And they put a dab of blood on the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the right toe. I think that's super cool. Because what they're designating in this is that they are set apart, made holy for this job they're doing from head to toe, their entire body. You know, so they're, they're dedicating and they're ordaining by the Lord because this is the Lord's will, right? The Lord is the one giving them the commandment on how to do it, their whole body for service to the Lord. And I just, I just think that's really cool how they do that. And so we get that process in here. And I know, you know, when we go through our ordination service, uh, sometimes people are anointed, depends on who you are and what denomination you're in. But I know everybody has a group of elders around them, and they lay hands on them and pray over them and dedicate them to service to the Lord, which is, in a sense, the same kind of setting. So I just thought that was really neat how they do that and how the Lord set that apart because they want them to be different. So we move on. We get we get a lot of other instruction in there about sacrifices. We got different sacrifices. You know, we got the sin offering, the fellowship offering, the wave offering, and there's all these different offerings. What's really cool about the offerings is it's made for anybody. So it depends on where you're at, right? God makes allowance for if you have bulls or if you have rams or if you have goats or if you have sheep or if you have birds or if you just have grain. He gives you instruction for wherever you're at in the socioeconomic status pole. But he expects us to give unto the Lord. So I think that, you know, a lot of us get to a point where we're like, oh, I just can't do it. I don't have, you know, I don't have the resources. But in this particular thing, God shows us that if we trust in him, we can be assured that if we give to him, he will bless us abundantly more because he makes a way all the way through that no matter where you're at in that socioeconomic status ladder, he's given you an option on how to bring your sacrifice, your offering to the Lord and be blessed because he just wants to bless you. He wants us to trust him so he can bless you. And so those are really neat. That's in Leviticus too. 
And uh, so I thought that was really neat. Then what's here's what's really, really, really cool. All right. In Leviticus 16, we talk about the Day of Atonement. Now, we know that Jesus is our atonement, right? But Jesus isn't here yet. This is this is all new. These are God's chosen people that he's just rescued from the Egyptians, that they're going to get to the promised land. And they really are. You, I always tell people, think about infants, infants and toddlers. So they're like in toddler stage of this life in God, freedom from oppression, and they're in this state where, okay, what do we do now, right? So an infant is now off the bottle. Now they're starting to walk around, and they're starting to eat table food, so they're in this mode of what do we do now, you know? And so the Israelite people, they don't have any boundaries. They don't have any idea of what's next, kind of like a toddler when they start figuring out life. And so the Lord's just laying down the boundaries for them, right? So he knows they need these boundaries, and he knows that they're going to have moments where there's sin in their life, right? Where they got to sit in the timeout chair, so to speak. So they're going to need a day of atonement, that time where you say, okay, you're forgiven, you can get up now, you can go play again. But that's really sacred in God's eyes. So in Leviticus 16, we talk about the Old Testament way of the Day of Atonement, and it is so interesting. I really encourage anyone who hasn't read this to read how before Christ, how we had a day of atonement. And this is really, 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 really detailed and, and strict because this is where uh, the high priest is given, hey, man, don't go in there unless you're totally purified because you will die if you don't. If you do, sorry. If you aren't totally purified and you go in and you touch the sacred covenant the ark of the covenant you will die so make sure all this stuff is right with you before you go in you got to do your sacrifice first you got to do all your stuff you got to make sure you are in right standing with god before you go in there because what you're about to do is huge so he's got to make a sacrifice for himself so this would be aaron right and then you got to go in and you got to make a sacrifice for the people. And what he does is he takes two goats and he has to draw straws. And with the straws, he's going to the short straw. Oh, it's too bad for the short straw, right? Is the goat that gets sacrificed, right? The long straw is called the scapegoat. And we'll get to that. But this, so the goat that's sacrificed, we're going to take that, sprinkle the blood on the atonement cover. What's the atonement cover? That's the Ark of the Covenant's cover. Ah. Oh. Don't go in there unless you are yourself cleansed right before God. 
That's something. All right. Then he has to sprinkle blood on the altar. Then he has to do all the right sacrificial things because he is claiming atonement for not only himself, but for the people. He is claiming atonement for the people of Israel. And then when all that's done, he lays his hands on that goat that's still alive and transfers basically all the sins of the people for the last year on the head of that goat. And then someone that's chosen but is the, takes that goat to the wilderness and sets him free. And that goat wanders in the wilderness with all the sins of his people. And this day of atonement, and I'm really abbreviating it, goes out into the wilderness with the sins of the people. And they are, and that's their atonement for their sins for that year. And God said, you do this once a year. So if we look in Hebrews chapter 9, I think it's around verse 22, you know, he sprinkles the blood of, on the, the atonement cover. He sprinkles blood on the altar. The high priest does to make atonement for the people. In Hebrews 9, you know, Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood for us and he makes atonement for us so that we're once and for all saved and we don't have to do this once a year anymore. We do it once and for all because Jesus paid the price for us once and for all. There is no scapegoat, right? Hebrews 9, I think is around verse 22. It says, because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So that right there explains to us why Jesus had to shed his blood on. What's our atonement cover? The cross. And all that comes to full perspective because we see that in Leviticus 16, they did this every year. We don't have to do it every year. They did this with an atonement cover. They did this with the altar. We go to the, our altars in our churches to lay down our lives for J Jesus and ask him to forgive us because he's already shed his blood on the atonement cover of the cross for us so we can be set free. He was our scapegoat. He took our sins to the cross, and he sets us free. We don't need a scapegoat. He was our scapegoat. And I don't know about you, but I think that's totally awesome. And that just totally, totally, totally makes me happy. So if we look at that and think how blessed we are that my Redeemer lives, you know, because we know that he rose again and that's what makes it all work, then all this guidelines that are in the Levitican rule, we know that Jesus, when he was on walking the earth doing his ministry, he takes this out of its literary sense and says it's all from your heart. So when you see this in literary sense right here in Leviticus, Jesus takes this one step further and says, you know what, if you're thinking like this, it's just as bad. Because I don't want you to even think like this. Because this is all rooted in evil. 
So if we look at Leviticus chapter 26, God says, if you keep my commandments, if you just follow me, if you keep your heart clean and you keep my covenant, I'm going to just give you all the things you ever need. I'm going to give you rain when you need it. I'm going to give you crops when you need it. I'm going to give you so much blessing that you're going to have so much left over that when you have a new crop coming in, you're going to have to move the last year's crop out of the way so you can put this year's crop in. Isn't that awesome? So when you get paid this week, you're going to have to just add to last week's because God's blessed you so much because you believe and you trust him with that. Because, you know, one of the other things in there is the year of Jubilee, and, and that's every 50 years he, he wants you to rest, you know. Every seven years he wants us to take a year to just rest, right? Every seventh day he wants us to take a day to just rest, right? Very few of us do that. You know, I know somebody that says that people don't need a day of rest. They can work seven days in a row. They don't need a day a day off. And that's what they want to do is push the employees to work seven days, period. You know, think of, think of how that would wear on you and never get a day off. And I know people do that, but think of how that makes you feel. Seven days of no, seven days of work makes you weak, you know, period. W-E-A-K, not W-E-E-K. It wasn't meant for that. God knows we're human. God knows we need rest, so he made it that way. And he put it in the Levitican rule that way, too. So in chapter 26, he says, if you just do what I ask you to do and follow this, I'm not doing it to be mean. I'm doing it for your own benefit. Everything will be good. But if you are hostile towards me, and he uses that word, if you're hostile towards me, at least in some versions, then to paraphrase it all and to shorten this, he says, things will get really difficult. And you will see things not manifest in the way that you need them to manifest. And I think that's true. The more we push God out of our life, and we're seeing that all around us, the more things get more difficult. So he's just asking us to follow him and to look not at this book of Leviticus as a bunch of do's and don'ts, but as a guideline on how to be successful. <laughs> and if we could do that and then see when Jesus walks the earth and he's doing his ministry that he ups the ante on this and says, hey, man, if we even think like this, it's detrimental to our spiritual and mental well-being then I think we might look at the Levitican rule in a different light. And maybe we'll even begin to totally trust in God. Have a great Friday. We start numbers next. And we're still in the Torah. We'll see you next time as we trust in God on the daily walk. Oh, I trust in God, my Savior, the one who will never.